Hello, everyone. Welcome to What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. I am definitely not one to uh, miss, I think would be the right word, poetic justice when it stares me in the face. And with that, kind of the irony or the paradox therein, implicit or implied. And in that same sort of manner or way, what goes around comes around. I think I've declared it before on the podcast that I am not necessarily a believer in karma. I definitely don't see that as any sort of um, righteousness when it comes to God or godliness or God's judgment or, or even so how God chooses to separate those who are believers and those who aren't and then the rightful consequences of one's choice to believe or disbelieve and in what Jesus God's promise of life in Christ Jesus, the righteousness of Christ Jesus, or (laughs) alternatively so not. But I do think karma kind of has some application in this way. There's much to be said for absent godliness, even amongst the lost, a certain degree of reciprocity and what that might look like for me who does believe in God's righteousness, whether it's measured Old Testament and then with that New Testament, Old Testament, the law, New Testament, the living word uh, law, so to speak, enacted in Jesus Christ with the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness for those that would choose to repent. I think absent true penitence, willingness to admit that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including oneself, we go around creating much of the same thing that we therein receive. (laughs) Not only we receive, but we do it unto others and in that same way, they do it unto us, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And in that, there does seem to be, again, some poetic justice. Some paradoxical sort of means or way by which God says, well, if you're not going to believe, then you're going to find yourself in even an advanced or furthered state of disbelief. Having said all of that, I want to go to the book of Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work unto which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, departed unto Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. 
And when they were at Salamis, or Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John as their helper. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elimus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all deceit and all mischief, thou child, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Again, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Now, the poetic justice, (laughs) so to speak, the irony of it all, the karma, possibly, (laughs) the implicit righteousness of failed (laughs) humanism, even so for the sake of friendship, Even so, as would be manifest in the failings of the Old Testament, not to sanctify, necessarily, but our inability to obey the commandments that God dispatched through Moses, the Ten Commandments, we find ourselves hanging upon the simple premise of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Or with reciprocity, (laughs) as you do to me, then it shall be done unto you. Or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All of that sounds noble until you get to the idea of karma. And what would the karma be, at least in this passage of scripture, now that I've included the New Testament, the living word, with penitence, forgiveness for those who repent, For those who acknowledge, (laughs) what are they acknowledging? No righteousness is going to come out of a man, except that he would then also be filled with the Holy Spirit, and unto which then would be the great liberation from the bondage of the Old Testament, the law itself, as now would be manifest not only in Jesus Christ, but at this particular point in the book of Acts, and unto these particulars, especially Saul, Paul, 
Were it not to have been for his own conversion experience on the road to Damascus where he too was blinded or discovered just how blind he really truly was, we might not see it in the same way that we do, if only because it was through Paul, Saul of Tarsus, and now the Apostle Paul that... The sorcerer, Elimus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, or Bar-Jesus, as he is also known in this passage, would have then received quite the same thing that the Apostle Paul himself, as was then Saul, would have received on the road to Damascus an awareness of just how blind... Now, was that with intention of Paul? I don't know that. But it is the same. (laughs) He is blind. Is it recorded of others in Scripture of a blindness coming upon them? Maybe not in the same way, but it's implicit, I think, to being lost that you're blind. Was it a literal blindness? Either with Saul on the road to Damascus or with, again, Bar-Jesus, I think it was sufficient enough that their humanity, the corruption, the fullness of the corruption of their humanity, even if turned toward the most noblest of pursuits, as would then be towards some degree of Judaism, Mosaic law applied by Jesus was a Jew. (laughs) And with that then, the deputy, as much as he is part of the entirety of this experience that is captured in Scripture, the deputy, I'm not so sure, was. But at the same time, Sergius Paulus, the deputy of the country. Maybe he was more a politician. Maybe he was more political. Maybe he was of Herod, the Tetrarch. But all of that was under the persuasion, influence of the Romans and Caesar Augustus. And to that extent or degree, the occupation of the land that God had given to the Hebrew people, but as with inheritance they had forfeited to these otherwise persons who may not have been of any sort of real nobility when it comes to the highest of virtues. (laughs) Hebrew. Those that were otherwise of the Jewish persuasion. Those who were otherwise, even as Paul, would have been the Pharisee among Pharisees, and if not such them, the Sadducees, they had failed miserably to do that which the Old Testament in the measure of sanctification had called them to do. But here was the perfect opportunity 
for them to receive the Holy Spirit, even as Saul of Tarsus did, be relieved of their blindness and they were still blinded. And should it be anything then of any great amazement that those that were not Hebrew were more open to receiving this gift of sanctification, now living word, New Testament, as with personage of Jesus, the Christ, now resident as within the Holy Spirit, emanating from within them the power on high to the most noble of aspirations that, again, had been completely lost in the blindness that the Hebrew people suffered. And how do we know that? Because... As we might read a bit further on, and maybe so even in the book of Acts chapter 13, again, verse 44, after Paul then preaches this most marvelous of sermons about how the Jews failed and how God saw fit to deliver unto them salvation first, in the form of Jesus the Christ, but having rejected Jesus the Christ, continue in their sinful way, the blindness then of their own choice. How much poetic justice is again that? How could it be lost? How could we lose sight of that? Or that be lost on us who now of Jesus Christ, of our, our choice to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we too Gentiles now can claim an inheritance that was initially set aside for the sake of, I believe, this very cause, a time such as this, Esther, to deliver unto the Gentiles the message of salvation, but it was to come through the Jewish people, but they were blind. But Jesus had no intention of seeing this, probably out of his own desperate attempts to maintain his self-righteousness, he could not deliver unto the Gentiles this sermon. He was too busy being complicit with the deputy, Sergius Paulus. And it took then Paul calling them out. And I'm going to read it again, verse 9, before I go to 44. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit... And how did he get it? On the road to Damascus. Set his eyes on him and said, Oh, full of all deceit and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? God had given them the right ways. But Jesus knew them maybe not as well as the Pharisee among Pharisees, the Apostle Paul, as he described himself to be Saul. But he knew full well what he was doing was not right. And he knew full well even the hypocrisy of claiming then some position of power Albeit he might have said, well, it's the only way that we would have any influence. The only way that we would continue to be able to hold on to our Jewish tradition and heritage. Even so, our claim to God through that declaration of Old Testament 
he sided with the Gentiles who were, again, almost as much atheistic, not quite, as Bar-Jesus was, and was missing the spirit of the Old Testament law, having been lost on the fact that it would have had to require confession. They could not do it rightfully. And the continued desire for a new heart, for the Holy Spirit to again, God, to again breathe upon them in now, the Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they had already made their choice to crucify the Christ, which is again verses 14 through 43, which we don't have time to read on the podcast today. I wish we did, but it is basically just the Bible message. Jesus came because you failed. Was it intention that they fail? I don't think so. But it was intention that Jesus had to come. But they should have received him had they been of the right spirit, a contrite spirit, a willing to admit, admit that somehow they had missed it. The mark. How many people could say that? How many people could admit being given all of that that the Old Testament supplies in the way of just that. Mosaic law, the Pentateuch, Tush. And all that was then of the contriving of the Ten Commandments. Not by human hands, but by God delivering in human translation written upon stones that Moses delivered in the way that he was called to while they were yet in the wilderness so that they might enter into the promised land. But that generation could not because even so Moses was continuing to smite the rock as they then at this particular moment in Hebrew history had smitten the rock by crucifixion of Christ. They were not intentioned to repent. They were not intentioned to admit they'd lost sight of the real purpose of the law was so that the Gentiles might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whomsoever shall believeth upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Old Testament could not do that, but only because no one out of that could be the Christ until Jesus. And he was, and is, and remains, and evermore will be the Messiah. That was a mouthful. They could not receive it, or Jesus could not receive it. But the Gentiles could. Why? Because they were corrupted by this guilt and shame that the Hebrew people were carrying around so much so that in projection they would crucify their very own if not the Gentiles keeping them in a position of blindness oh what a paradox what poetic justice oh what karma that as you live by the sword you die by the sword as you deny Christ 
You cannot live in Christ as you fail to give to the world that which God has dispatched through you to give to the world. And this, we're not talking about Hebrew people any longer. Now we're talking about Christians. Now we're talking about those who've accepted Jesus. You will perish by withholding the gift. You cannot withhold the gift. You are blind if you think you can or you're suffering of the blindness that Bar-Jesus suffered and possibly so even Saul of Tarsus when he was yet the Pharisee among Pharisees. You need to be blinded. But not in the way of blindness that would preempt you from seeing the truth that is Christ. Because Paul, in his penitent state, his awareness he needed, Jesus readily received. But Jesus did not. And neither did the Hebrew people because there was this great division. How do we know it? Because we're going to go to Acts 13, verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, this was all predicated upon that great exhortation that Paul had presented. They were filled with envy and spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. And said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. Speaking to the Hebrew people. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Oh, the poetic justice in that. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us saying... I have set thee to be a light of the nations that thou shouldest be for salvation under the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their borders. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And what disciples? I suspect... It was not just the twelve. I suspect, absent Judas, I suspect it were all of these new converts which now have become disciples of what? A living word testimony of what? God loved them. How did they know that? Because Paul came along and told them, Jesus died for you. And in that same way, Paul was demonstrating the very act of love that Bar-Jesus would not receive. Neither would the Jews and the establishment of that time that required them to give away what they had tried desperately to hold on to, knowing the fire had, knowing full well, the fire had gone out in the temple, (laughs) that their hearts had become so hardened, so calloused. The fire had gone out in them. They didn't love the people. They were no better than... The Romans and why they found some compatibility, relatability more to the Romans than they did to the Gentiles. 
The message of Christ, Barnabas too, was a Pharisee. Barnabas too had received the same message of conversion. Barnabas too not only had received the message, but had received the conversion from something that was otherwise in material dimension bound to an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, and now became a sacrifice of oneself, even if it required the loss of all of that in material dimension, so that others might know just how much God loves them. Now, of course, I'm not preaching to a Jewish audience right now. I'm probably preaching more likely to a Christian audience, maybe lost, but if it's lost, and I suspect the message is going to come across a bit better even to the lost than it is to those that might be hearing me now that are Christian. Because what it means is, if you're not, you're no better giving, loving, sharing, even to the point of ministering to the lost, even to the point of Barnabas and Paul, even to the point of their conversion. If you're holding on to it, like the Hebrew people did in this passage, then you're blind. But you're blinded by your own choice of denial. You're rejecting the message. The message is to believe. And once again, so that we might not have any question left after the conclusion, after the end of the sermon, to the conclusion of the podcast, it's believing on not only the name of Jesus, it's believing in Jesus and all that goes with that to take the scales off of your eyes, to restore your sight. Otherwise, you will be the blind leading the blind into the ditch. And you'll never come out. I don't want to do that. Why would you want to do that? It's going to be held to your accounting. Even the Apostle Paul, as he saw Stephen, I'm going to go there, as he saw Stephen being stoned. And immediately, this would be chapter 9, starting with verse 18. And immediately, well, let me go a little bit further ahead of that. And let's go up to, and Saul arose. Let's go up even further. Let's go to verse 7, 6, Acts chapter 9. Well, let's go to verse 1. I want to read it all. Chapter 9, verse 1, Acts. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. For what purpose? <laughs> Stephen. And he journeyed, stoning. And he journeyed. He came near Damascus. And what poetic justice. Here was the same man going into the synagogue and experiencing the very threat that he was making at this particular moment in Acts chapter 9, pre-conversion, Saul, not Paul, not as an apostle yet, 
of Jesus Christ, though how could you deny that? Stephen was about as close to seeing Jesus as might have then been Paul after being Saul had experienced and encountered the Christ on the road to Damascus. And he desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he journeyed and he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, very personal, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Not karma, Jesus. Not just eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, Jesus, the Christ, who laid down his life so that not only Saul could find redemption, have his eyes opened, first coming to an awareness of just how blind he was, could then have his eyes, but us. And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest, It is hard for thee to kick against the goads. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Poetic justice, don't let it get lost in the obviousness of this. The reason that... Saul could not see the Christ is denial. It's all of these things we've been speaking of. He has to be right. He can't admit he was wrong. He can't admit that this is for others. He's self-righteous. He's entitled. He's a bit narcissistic, if not in a large measure narcissistic. And he wasn't going to give this to the Hebrew, uh, to the Gentiles. He was going to keep this for the Hebrew people. He was going to crucify the evidence of just how lost he was or just how important it was to give what he had. And again, put this in proper context. They were an occupied people. Maybe that explains why he was not motivated better. We've already lost what we got. Why do we want to give more away? It's all about the fight. It's all about the eye. No, it's not about the eye for the eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's about Jesus. It's about giving it all away. But it's not just Paul. Saul. Conversion Paul. It's not just bar Jesus, it's us. And what are we going to do with that? One of the most difficult things <laughs> that I have to do, I believe, is point out people's blindness. When they come to see me for counseling, Christian counseling, they have a very difficult time admitting, especially as Christians, how did I get this wrong? They have a hard time admitting they need help. <laughs> 
It may take years for them to get to that point, but their blindness doesn't do anything but lead more people to the ditch. And it doesn't do anything to open the eyes of anyone else. The only way that the eyes are opened is when you see past the material dimensions of reciprocity, when you see past certainly not only reciprocity, but the selfishness of self-indulgence, when you can get to the place where you put away those kind of thoughts and you realize To be loved, you have to give love. That is counseling 101. If you want it, you have to give it away. If you want it, you have to admit you're wrong. If you want it, you have to admit you're wrong, not believing that that's your condemnation. Your condemnation is denial, not admitting that you're wrong. You cannot get better. There's no counsel, whether it's Christian counseling or more secular humanistic counseling, that'll do you any good until you admit you have the problem. It's not somebody else's problem. It's your problem. But when you get to the point where you realize that you have the problem, don't be surprised if you don't also then begin to see at that moment when the scales fall from your eyes, the problem is not that you have the problem. The problem is that you're not willing to not only admit it, but then do what's necessary to overcome it. Stop crucifying everybody else. Stop blaming everybody else. Start taking this seriously, sincerely, genuinely, authentically. In application to yourself. That's why that's a difficult. That's why it's counseling 101. Because if you won't receive that, you're not going to come back. I know that. How I package that, how I say that, the timing of that. I wish it could be just as I read earlier from Acts 13 and speaking to Bar-Jesus, but we don't know that Bar-Jesus received it and certainly it was what was going to get Paul stoned as he went around boldly proclaiming all of these things. And those that are already hardened of heart, it just, when that moment comes up, it just causes them to dig deeper. You can't spare yourself that. It is the call of all Christians to be willing to do that. You would hope that you would encounter folks that were like Sergius Paulus or all the other Gentiles that gladly received the sermon, gladly received the message. Oh, we're not the scum of the earth. We're not such low life. We're not without the opportunity to receive this great gift. They can see it better than you. They've already known what it's like to lose it all. They already know what it's like not to have it. Don't keep denying them that, but it's not not just materially, transactionally, giving them material resource. You have to give them the best that is in you, and that is the Holy Spirit. Gold and silver have I none, but such that I have I give unto you. It's not that we don't, can't, shouldn't give to those in need materially. But if you do that out of anything, you're just doing that out of martyrdom. Or you're just doing that to preserve the status quo. Jesus never came to preserve the status quo. Don't come see me for counseling in an effort to preserve the status quo. It won't work. It starts with you. It starts with a change of heart. It starts with me doing the best I can to do that out of kindness, out of compassion, out of relatability, out of empathy. 
But if you don't receive it, (laughs) you're going to be blind. And all that blindness contributes to is more blindness. And you're going to take a bunch of other people down with you. And you'll be held accountable because you didn't do what you needed to do. It starts with you. The change starts with you. It's, it's a counseling 101. The change starts with you. Be glad that you've chosen to come in. Don't hold stigma against yourself or even somebody else's. Well, you got the problem. Maybe it's true. Even if they have the problem, even if they're the biggest hypocrite in the world, even if there's Pharisees and Sadducees, be thankful they're not stoning you. But Jesus... The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but the mighty of, to mighty, but to but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. The only way you're going to get that stronghold torn down is by you giving space to Jesus and the Holy Spirit and me. If I am an ambassador of Christ and do that the right way, using then as we try to do in the podcast, the word in love, apply it, living word then that stronghold falls down first inside of you. It's the circumcision of the heart. But you're not going to convert anybody. You're going to offer life to anybody. Nor are you going to really live in the life that's yours until you realize you can't withhold any of it. But once you do get with the program and you do that, then things start to change. Cultures change. Families change. You really see results. And they're really a whole lot happier to hear from you if you've saved them versus those who feel like that all you've done is condemn them. But you don't condemn them. The Word of God does. But if that's the effect, then let it have its effect. But you are indeed then just like Jesus. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal. There's not going to be a sword literally, that you're to take to the people. You're not going to stone them. But they are powerful and mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. But it's love. It's the act of compassion. It's the ability to establish the rapport. I'm chief among sinners that can only come from that kind of a confession. Hopefully, if you do need help, that's what you'll do. You'll take somebody's advice, hopefully your own, the word of God's. Even those that really don't love you, they're just doing it to condemn you. Don't deny yourself that opportunity. That's what we're here for. That's the intent. You may not need me. You may find it in church, but don't deny yourself church. and Don't deny yourself the fellowship of the brethren. Don't deny yourself the opportunity to receive the word. But in order for it to be effectual in your life and for you, realize full well that once you've received it, you've got to share it. And that's what the podcast is all about. That's what what is Covenant Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry is all about. But also what Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Ministry is all about. With that thought in mind, if you should want to reach us, you can call us at 304-528-9220. You can find us at covenantsonline.com. You can email us, covenants.llc1 at yahoo.com. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Covenants. And you can come back and join me for the next edition of What is Covenant? Specialized Pastoral Care Services Christian Counseling Ministry with Dr. Michael David Clay. That's why we do it. 
want to share the word. And though I may not get a chance to speak with you in person, in that personal dimension, I pray that the word is enough. As it would then be to stir up the gift in you. And what is that gift? Jesus loves you and he's in your heart. I want to wish you the best in God's word. His blessings manifest unto you. Not only good mental health, behavioral health, which is always an aspect of that in secular terms, but also in that way of spiritual well-being. And also with that then, the ability to share that with others. Until we get a chance to meet again, thanks.